my name is Eric, and I welcome you to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, where we, as LGBTQ plus citizens, come together to inspire and educate each other on who we are and our respective countries and professions. Through topics and guest interviews, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast celebrates individuals making a difference. Loving who we love is not a choice. Being who we're meant to be can be. We are here. You are welcome. We are community. Hello, I'm Eric, your host of Our Black Gay Diaspora podcast. I am joined today by the effervescent Nubia Young, who is a travel consultant, international events coordinator, motivational speaker, and expatriate coach. Additionally, she's the founder and CEO of Black in Tulum, which is, quote, the first and only community where melanated travelers come together and vibe where the jungle meets the sea. I love that. <laughs> um, Nubia has also been featured in Elle magazine, Vice, Femi, and other publications. I discovered Nubia during the summer of 2019 as one half of the duo hosting Chronicles Abroad, a podcast that uses travel to showcase the stories of world adventurers and their personal growth. I am very honored and excited to have Nubia here with me today. Hey, Nubia. Yay! What's going on, Eric? <laughs> oh, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. That was such a great intro. I'm like, I do that? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. <laughs> so silly. Quit it. <laughs> what's up? So what's going on? Where are you now in this world? My friend Jenny said, I'm not back in the U.S., I am visiting, because I, I do plan to return to Sweden in particular, or if not, well, no, I'm going to say that. My plan is to return to Sweden in, in April. Okay, nice. So you're currently in the States at the moment. I'm in the States. I've been back here since December 17th. So I was gone for two years. When I was interviewed by you and Francis, that was, I think, a couple months into the journey, which was November of 2019. I can't get out of interview mode, so I kind of want to ask all these questions. I'm going to stop it. I'm going to turn it over to you. <laughs> oh, no, no. So where are you at currently in the world? Currently, I am in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. So I have been in Mexico now for two and a half. It'll be three years in June, actually. I'm a resident here. I'm a temporary resident, but I will be going for my permanent residency next year. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm, you know, still a newbie, as you know. So how is it getting residency in Mexico? It's fairly easy. I mean, for me, it was a lot easier because I own a business in Mexico. So I'm here on like a business visa. I have partners that are Mexican and stuff like that. So it was a little different process for me. But other than that, it's pretty simple. I believe if you just want a temporary residency, you have to show or prove that you can make more than $2,500 USD a month in order to sustain yourself. All right. That sounds uh, similar to my experience so far in Sweden, which I think is around 3000 US dollars. Yeah. So if you can prove that, it's just about getting your appointments. So a lot of people, what I realize is after the pandemic began, a lot of people started getting able to work remotely from home. Their jobs are like, hey, we're going to remote indefinitely. So people are now utilizing that and they're picking up their, you know, visas and they're going. So I think that the residency thing picked up tremendously because people realize how close Mexico is to the states that they can just go back and forth, you know, effortlessly without any real major issues. So like with you being in the States now, 
for the six years that I've been abroad, I've never been back to the States as much as I have since living in Mexico because it's easy to do so, you know? Okay. And most of these people that are around you, the expats, are they Americans? Oh, yeah. A lot of them are Americans or Canadians. Canadians have been coming to Mexico for years. But once we had the pandemic and the prime minister of Canada was like, hey, get back here or you won't be able to get in the country. I think the influx of Canadians went back home to Canada to take care of stuff. With someone like you leading the way, it's great to hear that more of us are giving ourselves permission to leave the country if it feels good for us. And it's beautiful to see, actually, because I think America has instilled in us so much fear around traveling internationally as individuals of color. You know, it's really hard to see people talk about things that they really don't know much about, but because they've heard it or read it or seen it on the news, they think they know so much about a country because of small things that happen within that country. Big things happen in America all the time. Like all the time, (laughs) there was a point where you couldn't get us out of the news. Even when the last president was in office, it was like living abroad. We were a joke because people would be like, ha ha, like America was constantly in the news every day, all day. But yet Americans have a hard time understanding that other countries are just as sustainable and modern and cosmopolitan. And you know what I mean? So it's kind of cool to see. You know, I mentioned in the intro what you're currently doing, but can you share with us your professional and educational background prior to the journey that you've been on in the last few years? Yeah, so prior to actually me moving abroad, I was in events management and hospitality. So I've always had a love for people, I've always had a love for throwing events and sharing those gifts of just like making sure everybody's good and making sure everybody's and making sure everybody's having a good time, you know? So that was something that was already instilled in me prior to leaving. I had an events management business in Washington, D.C. And when I decided to move abroad, I gave everything up. I said, you know what? I'm just going to go on this journey. I don't know where it's going to take me. And I'm open to whatever. You know, when I interviewed you, I was actually a teacher. I taught English online. Never once have I done education. Never once was that something I've ever wanted to do, but it was something that afforded me the ability to live in Thailand and, you know, in Bali and in Colombia and all of those things. So I did that in order to make a living, make a life. It wasn't until I moved to Mexico that I actually hosted a brunch for people of color to come and kind of hang out with us in Mexico. And that started the steps to Black and Tulum, which is now a community of over 23,000 Black Americans from all over the world. And this is all traveling or living in Mexico? This is all traveling within Mexico. A lot of people are just coming in and out. A lot of people are looking at owning property. A lot of people are looking at taking sabbaticals. A lot of people are doing a a lot of traveling solo or coming for plant medicine like ayahuasca or different things. I mean, there's so many different now reasons and variations to why people are coming here, but it's been great to know that Black and Tulum was and is an essential part of them coming so that they feel comfortable to come knowing that we are here. I see. I'll ask you a little bit more about Black and Tulum. So what was the first country that you traveled to internationally? The first country I ever traveled to was London, actually. 
no, Paris. I took a 14 day trip to Europe. We landed in Paris for a week and then London for a week because my uncle was getting married in London. Was he living there? No, his wife is from there. So she actually lives in the States and they wanted to get married where her family was as well and stuff like that. So they did like a English wedding and American wedding. So prior to you doing your own international travel, did you ever think about being an expat or were you aware of that as something that we could do? No, never. I mean, my journey didn't start till I was 39. And my first time ever traveling abroad, I was 32. So I was very late in my game. You know, I always had the premise that I couldn't travel because I didn't think I had enough money to travel. I was a single mother of two kids. They were teenagers, but still being a single mom of two kids. I worked full time. I was going to school part time nights. I just was always busy. So a lot of our vacations, a lot of our things that we did as families were we took road trips or we went to Florida. You know, we did all that travel that was pretty much the Caribbean. But internationally, I didn't really think that I could do it. I didn't know much about it. I was fearful of, you know, do I bring the kids or not bring the kids? Then I found a community online that was about travel and people of color, and I joined it. And that was a catalyst for me to get my first taste of travel. And once I got it, I was bit by the bug and it was a wrap. (laughs) And I was traveling everywhere. You couldn't stop me. (laughs) If I remember correctly, the first country you lived in was Thailand. Yep, had never been to Asia a day in my life. And when I decided to leave, I booked a one-way ticket and I went to Thailand. I ended up staying there two and a half years. (laughs) I was supposed to just stop in. And then from Thailand, I was going to um, Vietnam and I was just going to travel Southeast Asia kind of slowly, right? Just a couple of weeks here, a couple of weeks there. And I love Thailand so much that I end up staying and I miss it tremendously. I'm looking to hopefully get back sooner than later just to go for a while and just reminisce and eat the food and get to travel around and and I just miss it. It's such a beautiful country. So what was behind picking Thailand? I don't know if you've ever seen the photos or the videos of the lanterns that they release in the sky and it's like a million lanterns. Yeah. So I had seen that and I was like, I want to go and do that. And I found out where it was and I knew it was in Thailand. And so I booked a ticket to go so that my trip was right around the next one. Okay. So I knew that I wanted to attend that, to view it. And then once I viewed it, I was going to go off and go to Vietnam. But by the time that came to be, I was already locked in and I was already in love (laughs) with the country. And I was already like, I don't want to leave. So I stayed. I ended up going to Vietnam three times in the time that I lived in, in Thailand. But living in Thailand exposed me to so many beautiful things. I was actually what they called what clinically obese, you know, heavier than the norm for your height. I was not happy and depressed or whatever. Got to Thailand, fell in love with the country, ate everything I could possibly eat. And I lost like 25 pounds in less than, I don't know, three to four months just eating natural, healthy foods. They had bananas still on the stalks. You know, I had a papaya tree in my backyard. Like, It was fruits and vegetables was so abundant and it was fresh. You know, you walk down the market, you still had dirt on the basil and it it was so fresh. I just felt better. I was like alive again. So did you do any prep work prior to going? (laughs) 
prep work, no. So the reason how Chronicles Abroad even came to be was in preparation of moving abroad, I would check for YouTube videos of people who have traveled Asia, but I kept running across YouTube videos from young white millennial men for the most part. Mm -hmm. They had their GoPros and they were staying at hostels for $5 a day or, you know, eating on $2 a day noodles. And that's just not the lifestyle that I lived. I was 38 years old when I decided to buy my ticket to leave. I left at 39 and I could not find people that looked like me, that were my age group, that traveled the way I traveled, that had responsibilities. There were so many things that I didn't see, which is why I created, you know, a podcast for people in the Gen X community. So you mentioned Chronicles Abroad. Um, thank you for bringing up to the importance of seeing our own images, because I didn't realize I needed to see Black Americans in particular who were doing what you're doing until I found you in Francis. And then it was like, okay, I can do this. But with Chronicles Abroad, did it start simultaneously with you starting your travel to live in Thailand? Absolutely. It was one of those things where Francis had already left prior to me even leaving the States. Francis and I knew each other back in Washington, D.C. We had crossed paths a few times. So, you know, I would talk to her on Facebook about her travels and be like, how is it? But she did it a lot different. She did like a program that she bought into. So she had like accommodations, food. You get what I'm saying? Like already set up. I was doing this a la carte style. I was doing it like, hey, I'm in that country. Don't know anybody, but <laughs> I'm here. So when I got to Thailand, I called her up and was like, hey, I finally made it to Thailand. And we just got to talking. And when, you know, she mentioned something about, have you ever listened to podcasts? And I was like, what's that? You know? And so she explained to me what podcasts were. And she was just like, maybe you should sh share your story. And I was like, why don't you do it with me? <laughs> you know, you did the same thing I did. We did it a little differently. We're both single moms. We're both African-American women. We're both lesbian women. I'm a little older than her, but she's, you know, still within the same age group as me. We're both Gen Xers. We both got up and decided to move abroad without our children because they were at an age that they could move on their own. They were going off to college. They were doing their own thing. So we decided to take our lives and do something different with it. That's our own stories. And we created a platform by sharing our stories. And it was amazing to hear the amount of me too's, right? That I wish I could do that, that I wanted to do that. I thought of doing that, but didn't because I didn't know how or what. And so we realized that we were onto something. And it just grew and grew and grew. You know, it's been six years now and we haven't done an episode in almost two, but we still somehow climb the charts with the top travel podcast because we did so many impactful stories. We shared so many stories of real life people doing real life things that people could actually relate to. Well, from a personal and emotional standpoint, I'll say for me is even though you haven't recorded, it's still a large catalog of inspiration of instructional guides from not just you and Francis, uh, Francis Liss, I keep forgetting to say her last name, not just from you and Francis's experiences, but from all the guests that you interview from not just America, but from all over the world. That's just a testament to the gift and the power that you know you guys have given the community, the world at large. 
Thank you. But thinking about coming back, but coming back with a different kind of impact, just kind of like sharing what we've done thus far and where our lives have taken us, you know, and all of those things. So we'll see. You mentioned Washington, D.C. Is that where you're from? I am originally from Boston, Massachusetts, but I spent majority of my life raising like my children and stuff in Washington, D.C. And I left the DMV area to go abroad. So that's my last place of residence. One of the things I like that you bring up that I'll, I'll say for me is still a challenge to put on air, but you mentioned age and I think that's important. And I'll say it was important for me. I'm actually older than you are coming to start this in my late forties. I like that you put that out front in a way that's honest and sincere because it reminds us that we don't have to be locked and loaded in whatever life journey we're currently in. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. I understand the concept of, I wish I would have done. Had I been younger, had I done this, had I done that, I get it. But my thing is our life doesn't stop because we're getting older. It should be getting better because we're at a place in our lives that we've been there and done all the mistakes, but we're in a better, more healthier position being older, whether it's healthier mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, and able to actually have a better perspective. I think had I done this 15 years ago, I would have failed at it because I just didn't have the mindset and the maturity level to deal with a whole different environment. You know what I'm saying? Like I would have went and like, oh my God, this is too much. I can't do it. Like watching chickens walk down the road or whatever. Like once you're at a different space in your life and you know that you deserve more, you want more, you desire more, and you're willing to take the necessary chance to make that happen. And you're wholeheartedly thinking to yourself, even if it doesn't work out, I'm going to try it anyway. That is the key. No matter how old you are, right. you know, and I've had to learn this. Don't get me wrong. If I could have done things a little differently, absolutely. I would have, but that wasn't my story. So all I can do is share my story, share the trials, the tribulations, the beauty of it, the downfalls of it, you know, the lessons behind it. I mean, I met so many amazing people in my journey. Some were lessons, some were lifetime people that's going to be around. Some people were people that helped elevate my career, you know, so I wouldn't have been able to meet those people had I been too afraid to make the leap and go. You know, I think all people can hear and how you speak and how natural you are. And, and I, I love the word effervescent. You remind me, the more you talk, of my cousin Karen in New York. And so hey, I just, <laughs> hey, Karen. <laughs> but I, I'm saying all that to say that I don't think it's a surprise that you're a motivational speaker, but you're also an expatriate coach, a career I hadn't heard of. So can you explain to us what an expatriate coach is? Yeah. So if you recall, when I was mentioning Chronicles Abroad and people were saying, me too, I wish I could do that. I don't know where to begin. That was something that I noticed needed attention. People who really desired and had the want, everything in them, but they still had this fear that was holding them back. And what I realized is even in hospitality, there are some people that want to be handheld a little bit more than others. Some people are like, just rip the bandaid off type of people and they just throw it to the side and keep it moving. Other people are like, wait, 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 I'll do it, but I need you to show me how. 
So that's what an expat coach is. You know, I had developed lessons and I started taking coaching calls where people would actually sit down and they would discuss with me their wants and desires, where they would want to go. We would discuss why. It was more or less like, being a therapist for somebody who wants to leave, getting them ready, getting them geared up, what I didn't have. I'm an extrovert by heart. So not everybody has that extroversion where they can talk to anybody and want to talk to anybody. So the program worked well for introverts. It worked well for people who just felt like this was enough that they needed to actually propel them to make the step to go forward. And I stopped doing the coaching for a little while just to focus on my own personal things, because it's a lot to have one-on-ones with people each week to talk about, you know, the next step. Okay, let's talk about this. Let's do this. It was a actual chronicled lesson plan, let's just say. And by the time you graduated, you knew where you wanted to go. You had your apartment already set up. It was just getting all of those things done, you know, working out visas together, working out, you know, locating the right location. People think it's really easy and it's not. It takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of determination and it takes for you to a lot of grace on yourself. I thought I wanted to move to Vietnam. I looked online, I loved the photos and, and then I went and was like, mm, this isn't for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes it takes for you to just take that step, try it out and be honest with yourself and say, does this feel right to me? And if it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you failed. It just means there's a different place that's for you. I love that. What I feel when you were sharing that is like someone holding your hand, someone giving you like a rub on the back and just saying you can do this. It is. It's like a big warm hug. And I know that sounds crazy, but a lot of us need that. A lot of us, you know, deserve that, right? Because not only am I coaching you, we're developing our own personal relationships. We're developing a way for you to learn how to make money abroad, a way for you to utilize your finances that you have correctly. Because when I went, I didn't use my money effectively because you're trying to live this lifestyle that you actually lived in the States. I actually live here. So now I got to kind of reel it in. I've made so many mistakes throughout my travels, but I use those as lessons to help others not have to make the same mistakes. Well, don't be surprised if you get an email for a consultation from me. (laughs) Just hearing that, yeah, I won't take up the focus away from you, but yeah, I'll be reaching out. (laughs) It's not about taking off the focus. One thing I love about podcasting is the fact that it's our stories. None of this is scripted, right? We're just sharing and having a conversation. And somebody who listens to this might feel the same way you feel. So share how you feel. Like, I love that because that's what resonates with the audience. Mm, That's true. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Because where I'm at is I'm committed to this lifestyle now at the moment. Something I didn't think I would want to be committed to, but hearing your story reinforces that, but also that it's important and it's okay to ask for help. Absolutely. It took me a while to get there. It really did. You know what I'm saying? When I say have grace with yourself, you do. You have to sit there and be like, it's okay. Like, I'm going to be okay. Some of the best weather is after a storm and it's so beautiful, so peaceful, it's so calm, you know? Just realize that it's okay. You're only in a moment and this too shall pass. So if we could travel back in time to your life in Massachusetts, who was young Nubia growing up? 
Okay, so I will say this. I've come a long way and I'm still in my evolution phase, even at 44. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in search of something and I'm learning that now more and more and more. And I don't know if it was the pursuit of happiness more than it was trying to understand who I am. I was always very much the black sheep in the family, the one who, you know, was the loudest, always had something to say, the most opinionated, but at the same time, I got shit done, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was the fighter, I was the one that loved so hard, I was heightened with emotion. I'm a fire sign, I'm a Sagittarius, so I was like a little forest fire, mm -hmm. that's all I can say, I was like a forest fire, just going and lighting shit up along the way. <laughs> now I'm learning how to extinguish some of that fire and understanding that the fire is the light that people are attracted to. And I'm still learning more and more about, you know, my traumas, my triggers, my desires, right? And I'm learning to speak up for myself more to say, I deserve, I want, I need more than I got it. I'm fine. I don't need anything, you know? That's the premise that unfortunately women of color grow up in. I don't need you to do anything for me. I got it. I lived like that my whole entire life. Even though I had it, I was exhausted doing it. I was depleting myself when I didn't have to because I wasn't allowing people to do for me. I wasn't allowing myself to ask for help. I wasn't allowing myself to be vulnerable. I was very much on the defensive about personal stuff and everything else. So young Nubia was immature. It was actually travel that was transformative. It was like, I had these things in my head and in my heart that I wanted to do and wanted to experience and wanted to share. And I just have to be frank. Growing up in the 90s to early 2000s in the city, right? Being a person of color, you couldn't say that you wanted to go skiing. It was like, what, you wanna go skiing? That's a white sport. You know, you play tennis? Oh my God. You know, it was like people put you in a box because of, the things that you enjoy doing. And it doesn't make sense. So I spent a lot of time not wanting to share the things that I wanted to do because I was always looked at as odd. <laughs> you want to go swim with whale sharks. It makes it seem like I was um, alien, right? Yeah. But when I was like, F it, and I did it anyway, that it actually inspired people because I was sharing my experiences and people were like, oh shit, that does look kind of beautiful. Wow. Okay, she did it. I guess I could do it too. Simultaneously, you know, you were aware of your light, but like you said, folding in the balance of it all and then self-care. And when you were sharing about like people's comments, just from a first person standpoint, there were people that had comments, but I don't know if this happened to you, but at the same time, when you did what you really wanted to do, it was like, did you do that? Could you tell me about it? <laughs> You know, the one thing about being in what you call influencer or a trailblazer or whatever, yeah, it's beautiful until it's not. You get what I mean? Because there's so many people who have so much to say about your decisions that have no effect on them whatsoever, but they just feel necessary to have to speak. And 
I chose to share my story. I chose to be extremely transparent with my story. I chose to share my trials, my tribulations, my past, my family life, my traumas, all of those things. So when people are in the comments and they say some real hurtful stuff, I'm like, how dare you try to use the information that I'm giving you for the first year or two, it was, I was a bad parent because I didn't take my kids with me abroad. And then I was like, wait a minute, my daughter was in college. A, B, my son went with their father. Like you act like I left my kids at a doorstep with a note and just walked the frick out. You know what I mean? Like, and do you know the whole story? And then I found myself being on the defensive and I was just like, but why do I care? That's their opinion. I know my truth and I continue to share my truth. And that's when things flourished for me because I would get messages, I would get emails, I would get calls from people who were like, I heard that interview, I read whatever, and me too, I understand. I started having people actually feel like they had somebody that understood them. Because in a household for people of color, it's like, you'd be like, oh, I'm sick, I don't feel good. And the first thing that somebody's gonna say to you is you'll be all right. Go take some ibuprofen and lay down, you'll be all right. You want some soup and some tea? But it's never, you know, how does it feel? We're not paying attention to our bodies. We're not paying attention to how we feel emotionally, mentally, and physically, and actually saying to somebody, something doesn't feel right. As Black people, and I love that you're sharing this, we say we're strong in the sense that we have overcome so much, and we still are. But in what you're sharing, it's a reminder to me that, but we're still human and we're strong, not because we're not human. We're strong because of these life situations. We're not robots. We're not robotic. You know, and sometimes I would tell my audience like, ouch, that hurt. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I share my life out loud because I want people to understand and to resonate. And if it doesn't resonate with you, that's fine. You can share that it doesn't resonate, but you don't have to be mean. You don't have to be nasty about it. You can share your opinion or ask a question. We have to understand more and more and more. It's not about everybody else. Pay attention to how you feel. Everybody, male or female, young or old, has an intuition and that intuition is what tells you what's right or wrong and what you need to do but most times we just keep suppressing that intuitive feeling we don't know how to articulate it or like decode what's going on but if you just sit for a second and allow yourself to tap into what your breathing feels like and wow my breathing feels shallow today or oh my god you know i'm breathing a little bit too hard today or my skin is really dry what's going on because your body is telling you what you need. I'll stop procrastinating, stop putting stuff off. And that includes getting the hell up and booking a ticket. Very good advice. So with being podcaster, motivational speaker, and expat coach, how do you strike the balance of sharing your personal life, what to hold sacred for yourself? I don't think I balance that. <laughs> <laughs> I really am an open book. I am very, very transparent. I think the hardest part is dating and not wanting to share those things because it's not just me, it's somebody else's life as well. I was very open with two people that I kind of was seeing within my travels. And because I'm not with either one of them, you know, the audience was like, what happened? It's almost like a personal soap opera that people are watching. You get what I'm saying? Nothing wrong with it, right? I meet 
people who have been following me for years and like, I feel like I know you. I feel like we're friends because I know all of the things you've gone through. And I'm just like, wow, like I really do share a lot of my life. So I could imagine what that looks like on the opposite side. Mm, Okay. Dating that topic. (laughs) How is that for you as somebody who is a, a digital nomad and a national traveler? I can honestly say, Eric, dating was non-existent for the first two years of me living abroad. I mean, I lived in Asia, A. That was still us, right? But I would say there weren't many of us in my age category. And there wasn't many of us in my sexual orientation. Hmm. I get a lot of like, oh, I would have never known. You know, I just don't share my personal, personal life as much. But I didn't date for the first two years, which I think was really good because I spent a lot of time learning about myself, my wants, my desires, my needs. I learned and tapped into like more spiritual sense, like the practice of Buddhism and stuff like that. Like I'm not into religion as much as I am paying attention to like my moon chart and just listening to my body. Mm -hmm. So I spent the first two years doing that. Funny thing is I came to Mexico because I was dating somebody who lived in the States She and I dated for almost a year. And in that year, we had our own Instagram page. You know how people have those couple YouTube pages? It was like that, but it was Instagram. So we had a huge following, stuff like that. And then she was like, I want to move abroad. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, let's try Mexico because it's close enough that if something didn't work or if you felt uncomfortable, we can still get you to the States and it wouldn't take you two days <laughs> and you wouldn't feel so far away from your family and your friends. We bought tickets to Mexico. We got our Airbnb, all this itinerary. And three or four days before we were supposed to leave, she decided not to go. I was like, you know what? Fine. I still got on that plane and I went to Mexico City, which was our first initial place. And I fell in love and I was supposed to be there for 10 days. I stayed in Mexico City for nine months because I loved it so much. You know, the only reason why I left is it got cold and I came to Playa del Carmen by the beach and I got quarantined here because I got here in December and I was supposed to leave in March and March 25th was my flight (laughs) and we had shut down by March 12th. So I ended up staying in Mexico. And my moment that I was able to leave is when I went to Tulum and bam, started Black in Tulum and I've been here ever since. Wow, that's an adventure. (laughs) Yes, but the funny thing about it is I used to always feel like there was no, no way for me to meet somebody to love because I have this lifestyle that many people don't understand. And people's idea of stability looks very different. Americans are tied to the word stability around having a stable income, having a stable, you know, house. They have to have these things in order to be considered stable, where that's not how I see stability. Stability for me is mental more than it is physical. You know what I mean? Just about five, six months ago, I literally knocked on my neighbor's door. It was a new neighbor and she opened the door. And long and behold, I find the person who is now to become my wife. It's crazy. Wow. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. And we live literally next door to each other. Oh, God. 
that's like a beautiful movie. <laughs> oh, we laugh about it all the time. Our story is one out of a fairy tale book because I would have never had thought that love was steps away from my house. You know what I mean? It took for me to be my ever-loving, you know, <laughs> extroverted self to go knock on the door and introduce myself. <laughs> I had not seen her. I just heard, like, she would play... Um, old school hip hop. I think she was playing Brandy or something. I want to be down. And I was like in the house, like <laughs> Brandy, like in Mexico. So I realized it was the next door neighbor. And I thought she was an Airbnb guest or something. I don't know, but I heard voices and I heard English. So I was paying attention, but I had not seen anybody go in and out of the apartment or do whatever. So I said, let me just go over there, introduce myself. Cause they have to be American because I can hear them speaking English and they're playing hip hop R&B. So maybe they're people of color. I don't know. <laughs> she was. That's beautiful. To kind of wind down with Black and Tulum, you said there's 23,000 members. Yes. So we started the Facebook group originally with 25 people. Okay. The Facebook group itself is almost 20,000 and Instagram is 23,000. Our email list, well over 15,000. Like it's grown exponentially in the last year and a half. And I looked on the map. Tulum is in southeastern Mexico, is it? Yes, it's southeastern. It's going towards Belize. Tulum is about three hours outside of Belize. I see. So with Black and Tulum, is this like a travel agency? Is this how you get people into Mexico? I consider Black and Tulum a community. I've always considered it a community. We are what I like to call the trip advisor, the Black trip advisor for Tulum. And you can go on our Facebook literally and learn any and everything you want to learn about Tulum, where to stay, where to eat, where to go, what not to do with it. You know what I mean? Like, and that's from me asking the audience to share like your reviews. Like people used to want to like just post pictures and I was like, okay, nope, not going to happen. If you're going to post nine pictures, post where you went, how much you spent, what was your experience? Who was your driver? Give the link to something, you know? And people started resonating with that. So they would share their whole entire itinerary. Then other people would share like, hey, I'm coming down for a wedding or I'm getting married. And then all of a sudden it was like, Here's a list of makeup artists. Here's a list of private chefs. We're able to take the information that we were getting from our users and putting together files and docs so that people can easily and readily find the information that they needed so that they felt prepared to come to Tulum or come to anywhere in Quintana Roo and know that these are the places they wanted to make sure they hit up. And within that community, I host events. So I, I was at one point hosting four or five events a week it's now dwindled down to two a week only because we're just gearing up for different stuff. Just trying to tap into ways that we can all connect while we're abroad. That's, that's literally what Black and Tulum is. The global business is Black and Travel. And that was so that I can expand outside of Tulum and do the same exact model and have communities around the world. Whether it's a Black in this place or a Black in that place, it, it doesn't matter. We can work together, collaborate, share experience, you know, but I wanna have a, a house for that. I want us to be able to have a space that we know that we can go into and get the information that we need. Nice. I'll definitely be sharing that too. And just a reminder to touch back to what you said about community. And, you know, when you started your own journey with 
initially only finding like non-black people who were posting which there is a lot of resource in that but specifically what you're doing with black and tulum and black and travel it's like this is giving us the resources that we need to live our best lives Exactly. And it's not to take away from anybody else. Cause I've been asked that question. Like, well, why do you exclude a whole race? And I'm like, I'm not excluding anybody. What I'd like to share is that you as a male and me as a female, our experience in travel or anything else is going to be and look different, right? Your experience as a black male, my experience as a black female is going to be a lot different than the experience of a white male or a white female. Very true. Whether people want to believe it or not, it is the truth. So to have a place that provides resources for people of melanated background, I mean, I don't care if you're Asian, I don't care if you're Latin or whatever. It's just to know that there is a place where we can actually share our experiences as a person of color is important. It's not taken away from anybody else. My partner is white. I have white and they're welcome anywhere. You get what I'm saying? It's not taking away from them. She's going to come to my events the same way the next person's going to come to the event. People are not not welcome because they're not Black. That's just not the case. I feel like you've given so much richness today. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh my God. Thank you. And uh, any final thoughts or comments? I mean, the one thing I just want people to know from this interview is you have the ability to create your own reality. We all have procrastination issues. We all have fears around different things that we want to do, feel like we can't do or whatever. Understand that you are your own strength. And in order to be stronger, surround yourself with a network of people that can help lift you up. Mm. Right. If you really want to live this travel life, stop looking for travel groups. Stop looking for people who are interested more in travel. You can't talk travel to people who aren't interested in traveling. They're just going to bring you down. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's for anything in life. That's the whole thing. So listen to yourself, your wants, your desires, your dreams, and start putting the things in place to get there. I was just watching Eat, Pray, Love, just really on side note. And she mentioned something when she first gets to Italy about a joke. And it was like, a guy went to a temple every day and prayed to the gods, God, can you please, please, please help me win the lottery? Then finally, the statue kind of comes to life and says, would you please buy a ticket? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Do you understand what I'm saying? We always want something, but don't want to do what it takes to get it. You want to win the lottery, but you refuse to buy a ticket. You want so much, but if you're not willing to take the first steps. Fueling the passion with action. <laughs> That's a good one, Eric. Fueling the passion with action. I like that. So where can we find you online? Blackintoloom.com, Facebook, Black Loom, Instagram, Loom. <laughs> my personal Instagram, I am Nubia Young, and Young has an Indian. Perfect. I'll be sharing that too. Again, thank you. Enjoy your day in beautiful Mexico. Thank you. So proud of you. Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at BLK Gay Diaspora. Until next time.